Now, in this episode, we want to shift our gear to another critical nation in Southeast Asia, which is Cambodia. And given the fact that today, not much that we have heard so far regarding Cambodia, but meanwhile, in this upcoming July, this country is also going to hold another major election. And get this, this time, the election in Cambodia, not only it's related to the domestic issue and also could possibly impact the relationship between Cambodia and some major players around the world, for example, China and the US and also other partners in Europe. And how should we understand all of that? Given the fact that Cambodia is one of the strategic partners in ASEAN, and does that mean this new election is going to elevate this country to the next level? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker. And again, if you're familiar with our show, that you know Uday. Again, Uday is an international writer, and also he constantly writes and contributes to the militantwire.com. Again, Uday, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. Thanks a lot, Will. It's great to be back on this. Looking Absolutely. This discussion. We're very excited to have you, Uday. Now, let's get started. As we mentioned before, not too long ago, that you and I we had in-depth discussion regarding the election in Thailand. Let's talk about this upcoming election in Cambodia. Number one, the first question is, how should we understand the significance of the upcoming election for this nation? And what is the general political atmosphere in this nation today. Go ahead, Wude. How should we understand the significance of these elections? So these elections are Cambodia's uh, general elections. They will be held on the 23rd of July. Mm. And uh, people will be voting for 125 parliament seats. Now, the key takeaway from this election is that it's already been decided uh, who will win um, because of how Cambodia has been over the past 35 years or so. Uh, but the reason why it is still significant, it comes at this time where, you know, across in Thailand, we see an election which surprised and shocked the powers that be. And a bit of this fear is also in Cambodia because um, Cambodia has been ruled by the same prime minister, Hun Sen, since 1985. Mm. Uh, he's been in power nearly 40 years now. And what he's trying to do now, he wants to retire soon and put his son as the next, uh, you know, prime minister and the next successor. His son is Hun Manet. So uh, this election is really significant in that in, in that sense because he's trying to install, you know, the next generation of this kleptocracy that runs uh, Cambodia. Mm. Um, so in terms of uh, the domestic, you know, political environment at the moment. Um, so, like I said, the election, it's already decided. Uh, last month, the main opposition party, which was not ex expected to win so much, uh, was banned by the Cambodian government. Um, it was over some issue, like they gave a photocopy and set up an original document, mm -hmm. you know, like a very small kind of marginal issue to just ban the party, but it's because Prime Minister Hun Sen wants a smooth transition to his son, Hun Manet. Mm. Um, so domestically, there isn't much political opposition. In the last 10 years, we saw the probably the biggest challenge to 
uh, Hun Sen, he dissolved that party. It was called the Cambodia National Rescue Party. Dissolved the party. One of the leaders is in exile. One of the leaders is in um, house arrest in Phnom Penh. Um, so the Cambodian political atmosphere is very um, constrained and it, it's not open and it's not free and it doesn't allow for a lot of space. It's a very one man, one party kind of state. So it's very repressive in that sense. So that's why, you know, there is some significance to these elections because we are now going to see a transfer or an attempt to transfer power. And how that goes, we'll see over the next few years, you know, whether his son can really take up the mantle and have the strong, strong man position that he has, or, you know, if there's more fighting between the powers that be. So, yeah, it's a pretty, there's a lot of dynamic factors underplaying these elections. Uday, it's interesting that you mentioned, of course, that this is also based on the factual information that rumor has it, as you mentioned before, the current Prime Minister Hun Sun is planning to allow his son, which is a military man and also has the background of economy and also, you know, he tapped into this politics in the early age to be the successor. Now, number one. How likely his son is going to be the replacement of the position? Because right now, it's only hypothetical. And even though we have not seen the election results yet. But number two, if I'm not mistaken, 17 million people live in Cambodia today. And we will say, again, uh, the current prime minister has been ruling this position for decades. What will be the reaction today from the general public among the 70 million people to understand that, listen, we want democracy. We want to have this fair election. You can't just randomly name your son to be the successor. So that's why going back to the question number one, how should people to respond to the plan that the current prime minister is allowing his son or is planning to, uh, to allow his son to be the successor? And number two, what will be the possible negative outcome if that were to be true go ahead okay um so firstly how likely his son will be able to replace him mm. and be in that position see that remains to be seen uh because as you mentioned his son is military educated he's young and he he has a profile among the more upper class cambodians in uh Phnom Penh in the city uh but his appeal towards, you know, more of the rural areas in Cambodia, which is quite a lot, is not that much. <clears throat> so, I mean, it really needs to be seen how that happens. And Hun Sen, uh, sorry, Cambodia has a few families that are entrenched in politics. Mm. Um, so there's a bit of rivalry between some of these families, and that's what's coming out now. Um, so whether Hun Manet, his son could take over and hold the same kind of position that Hun Sen did, it remains to be seen. Right now, it seems unlikely. Um, a key point of this, and going, tying back into your second question of how you know people should react um, to having a successor picked for them, mm. and uh, you know about when we talk about democracy, is when we look at the history of Cambodia. Um, you know after colonization and then they had the Khmer Rouge which um, I'm sure you've heard of the killing fields mm. of the Khmer Rouge in which I think it was one third of the population were killed or That's one right. quarter of the population were mm. killed 
And, you know, it was this massive, super communist, pro-agrarian, like, let's go back to the past kind of society. And, like, Cambodia really suffered in that time. And millions of people died. And, you know, there was a lot of just genocide. And uh, Hun Sen was in the Khmer Rouge at that time. Uh, he was in a leadership position. But then he defected. And in the first few years after he came to power, um, there was a lot of violence. Uh, there was a lot of political uncertainty mm. and all. Um, some which has continued. Like Hun Sen, he's very repressive. He has, you know, tried to silence every enemy that he has uh, within the country, especially, especially political rivals. But in the past 30 years, he's also brought, you know, Cambodia from being this really destitute place where, you know, people were living in poverty, where, you know, in the early 1990s, the GDP per capita was around 250 US dollars. Mm. And now it's about, in 2022, it was $1,600. So he's gotten a lot of legitimacy and a lot of people in Cambodia, you know, have uh, tolerated him or, you know, let him rule and not been too aggressive in their opposition in calling for democracy or anything because he has presided over a time where he's brought Cambodia out of what the Khmer Rouge did and he's helped he has facilitated the development of Cambodia to quite a degree you know like Phnom Penh is a pretty modern city um and because of this he has garnered a lot of legitimacy mm. now his son does not have this. So that's another factor, you know, when his son comes, what what will people know his son for? Right now, he's not that well known. He's just known as Hun Sen's kid. Mm. But, you know, he doesn't have his own legacy. That way, Hun Sen has his own legacy. And he did bring Cambodia out of, um, you know, a very harsh situation mm. to where it is today. Uri, you mentioned this opposition party leader. Again, according to the recent article, this is something that came out of this opposition party leader said once, Cambodia, it's an autocracy, not democracy. Now, again, that tie into the next question I'm very much interested is, when we look at this, what you called the Cambodian National Rescue Party, and also, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, there's another term called it. It's called the Candlelight Party. So, Ude, putting all together, what does that mean if the opposition party uh, a leader believes that Cambodia today, it's no longer in democracy, but instead is running on this platform or running on this ideology as autocracy? Ude, what would you say to that? I, I think there's that that's definitely a fair statement to make. Cambodia is in no way democratic um, at this point. Mm. Just the fact that, you know, last month, election authorities banned the Candlelight Party over something very frivolous. Um, it, it shows that, you know, they don't allow any ideal, any party or political activity that is not sanctioned by them. Mm. And um, this way, the Cambodian National Rescue Party was actually, you know, the major threat to Prime Minister Hun Sen in the last decade. 
um, in 2013, 2014, there were protests that turned violent and, uh, you know, Hun Sen's troops, uh, soldiers cracked cracked down on protesters and killed them. Mm. And we had a lot of that. And then the party was dissolved in 2017. Again, there was no real actual basis for dissolving it. It was more just, you know, to shut down the opposition. And then mm. they had the elections in 2018 which uh, Hun Sen's party won, of course, because there was no major opposition uh, party. So right now, the elections, there's about 10 parties contesting in them, but all these parties have been allowed to contest. Mm. So, you know, it's not an open political system. And yeah, Cambodia cannot be described as a democracy um, at all at this point. And that's one of the issues that uh, gives a lot of that creates a lot of criticism of Cambodia in the West, especially Europe and the US. They always criticize Cambodia over this. And that's one reason why Cambodia's relationship with China has become a lot stronger because China is not so critical and China's brought a lot of development projects in. You know, um, China doesn't make statements about Cambodia's internal domestic affairs mm. like the West does, mm. which you see in a lot of countries. So. Well, Wude, again, it's rather alarming. As we mentioned before, Cambodia, it's one of the strategic partners in Southeast Asia. I mean, granted today, some people might not agree with me, but this is my personal interpretation that besides looking at this economic growth and also this political uh, ambition in the West and also in China, but meanwhile, nations in Southeast Asia are actually growing tremendously. So in other words, business owners and also, again, politicians and across the field, people are actually looking for ways to generate much greater noises. Now, I want to move on to our next conversation. Speaking of the uh, noises, we know that today when we look at of political elections, particularly in Southeast Asia. Social media platforms, no doubt, played a significant role. Younger generations are uh, creating conversations and share opinions. And of course, one uh, advantage for using social media is to able to build certain unification through this platform. Now, coming back to Cambodia, Ude, could social media platform impact the political situation in Cambodia today? And again, we realized not too long ago, the current prime minister actually used the social media to engage with the voters despite the disappointing results. But we've seen the function and also the existence of social media. So again, Ude, coming from your perspective, how much do you think social media today can actually uh, uh, play in this political situation in Cambodia, especially for this upcoming election? I think social media is going to be a very, it already is a very important indicator of, you know, the kind of sentiments and thoughts and um, just people's feelings towards whether it is the prime minister himself or just local government mm. officials and all of that. In, in that sense, you know, social media has been able to tell us this. But at the end of the day, these elections are controlled from the start. And social media and, you know, even if they're like, for example, if something like Thailand happens where you see this big anti-establishment kind of block coming in, they won't be able to vote for anyone to represent them. Mm. So they can talk all they want on social media. And it's important to see how they talk and how they react and how they feel about, you know, uh, the election proceedings. But 
they don't have the same representation on the political side to actually push for anything. So it, it, it's a bit of a two-way kind of thing, mm, you know? I see it. Ure, two more questions before letting you go. Now, again, as we mentioned before, not too long ago, the election in Thailand drastically changed the direction of the country. And also that could impact or perhaps we have seen create to some extent the impact on other countries in Southeast Asia. Now, as we mentioned on July the 23rd and Cambodia is going to have its only election, how should we understand the Cambodians upcoming election along with the impact to other countries in South, uh, Southeast Asia, and also this economic engagement with other countries in Southeast Asia, for example, Thailand, Myanmar, Vietnam. Ude, I know you're the expert, so walk us through a, a, a regarding this economic relationship between Cambodia and with other partners or with other countries in Southeast Asia. So firstly, the impact that these elections will have on Southeast Asia and the political kind of atmosphere is it, it's limited because the outcome is known and this has already been decided. Mm. Um, it, it's very different from Thailand, which you know sends shockwaves across Southeast Asia, where a lot of countries are walking back on their democratic principles, and mm. here you have the Thai election results, which show like okay, we are sick of the same, and we want change. Mm. Uh, so that that's why I think that. Thai elections definitely had more of an impact. And I do think that it did create some worry in Cambodia because uh, you Myanmar has reacted to the Thai elections. Cambodia has also kind of reacted to the Thai elections. And that could have also led to the banning of the Candlelight Party. It could have been one of the factors, you know, because they don't want to give people an option where you could see a surprise result. Mm. Regarding the elections, yeah, the Cambodia elections, at the end of the day, it is more of the status quo politically with Southeast Asia. Like, even if um, his son comes in, there's not going to be much change at this point with the way things are done. And Cambodia's outreach and relationships with Southeast Asian countries will be more or less the same. And this will also be economically, um, you know, they'll be maintaining their relationship and um, there's a lot of trade between Cambodia, Thailand, um, Myanmar, and um, China is the biggest trading partner for a lot of these countries. And uh, a lot of China's Belt and Road Initiative also goes through Cambodia. So that I think China is one of the more important economic factor, uh, economic partners of Cambodia. And, um, you know, Chinese investment will continue on. So in that sense, we're looking at a pretty not much change to the status quo. Um, with these elections or after mm. these elections. It will be more interesting to see how Hon Manet, uh, the prime minister's son, will be able to, will he be able to successfully transition into power? And then if he is not able to, then that could maybe affect, you know, some of the relations with the ASEAN countries and Cambodia moving ahead. Well, again, uh, Ude, as you mentioned before, right now it is still too early to tell the results. Now, I want to lend our last question, mention this. Number one, when we look at the geopolitical change, we have to talk about one thing that continue or one event continue sends the shockwaves to the international community, which is the war in Ukraine. You know, again, you know, we discussed this before. Now, so far, based on the research, 
Cambodia has taken a pro-Ukrainian stance versus Russia, leading a significant warning to a warming relationship with countries, you know, with uh, uh, in Europe. And second, European countries increasingly estimate the need to counter China's influence over Cambodia should take precedence over consideration uh, over uh, uh, about the domestic political situation. So, in other words, Cambodia has shown. A firm attitude regarding the war in Ukraine, which side the country is citing. And number two, more countries are very concerned, as you mentioned before, regarding the China's influence over this country. So would it help us with better understanding? What does that say about Cambodia when it comes to the war in Ukraine? And also, should Cambodia distance itself away from China, given the fact that China and also some countries are standing at the crossroads, politically speaking and also economically speaking. What do you say to that, Uday? Great. Okay. Um, so regarding the first question, Will, um, of Cambodia and um, the war on Ukraine. Uh, so Cambodia, yeah, the prime minister did make some really strong statements. Uh, this comes from the basis for ASEAN is non-intervention in domestic affairs and mm. they don't like outside intervention any at all. So Cambodia has really seen that and, you know, um, they've taken that as we don't want any intervention in our place and no one should be able to do this in any other place. So that's a bit of where this um, comes on. And this was surprising, despite, you know, Cambodia having a bit of a relationship with Russia. Mm. But at the end of the day, um, the, I guess, the principles of non-intervention and letting things be that stronger for Cambodia and the rulers over there. Um, and this also comes after, you know, the Myanmar coup. So there's a lot of, you know, instability in the Southeast Asian region anyway. Um, so it would not want to support anything that, you know, could raise more instability geopolitically mm. because it doesn't help anyone at this point. Mm. Um, regarding your second question, Will, about, you know, people having concerns about China being such a big trading partner for Cambodia and developing a lot there. Um, it's up to Cambodia to decide who it, you know, wants to trade with, who it wants to let in and invest. Mm. A reason why China has been able to do so much is the West has not offered the same as China has. Mm. You know, they've not built roads and dams and all the infrastructure that China is building. And, you know, you can criticize some of the deals and um, say that, you know, it's skewed in favor of China, but the West isn't really doing much and they'll criticize more than they'll actually invest in these kind of projects. At the end of the day, for the people who are ruling Cambodia, who are in charge of Cambodia, they have to look out for their self-interests more. Mm. And as of now, their self-interests are more with being closer to China mm. than it is with the West. If the West can, you know, find a way to make themselves more attractive to them, then sure, why not? But, you know, the West is not offering Cambodia what China is. Mm. So 
you know, you can criticize Chinese um, investment in Cambodia or the the growing influence of China in Cambodia. You can talk a bit about, you know, the increase in criminality with the cybercrime and all of that. But at the end of the day, this is being allowed because China is bringing something for Cambodia, mm. which they feel is more tangible for them. Well, Wu again, that makes sense, given the fact, again, China not only makes projects and also creates business opportunities with the government of Cambodia. And also, again, look at this grand picture. China is everywhere today, given the fact this Belt and Road Initiative continues to grow. But meanwhile, it is still crucial to pay attention to this upcoming election in Cambodia. As you mentioned before, despite the fact that we know the results, presumably but meanwhile it is still crucial to look at the response from the voters and also look at the reaction from the citizens given the fact that today there's no one country it's isolated or there's no one country can afford to be isolated from the international community well ladies and gentlemen it's my great honor to speak to Uday again Uday it's an international writer and especially he's a contributor to the uh, uh, popular news website called militantwire.com and I strongly encourage everyone to connect with Uday through social media and find his recent publications Brother, it's always been a pleasure to speaking to you. And again, as we are getting closer to this election, we'd love to have you back on the show as we continue to find out the results or hoping to see um, surprises, perhaps the election results come out. But anyway, thank you so much for doing this and let's keep in touch. And thank you so much for your effort.